0: Play and stay on Washington State's Kitsap Peninsula, the natural side of the Puget Sound. Stand up paddleboarding, hiking, great restaurants and breweries. I'll tell you more about your next vacation destination later in the show. I'm Rachel Bell, and this is Your Last Meal. The show where celebrities share stories about the foods they love most, and we dig into the history, culture, and science of those meals with experts from around the world. Today on the program, Taylor Dane. Tell it to my heart, tell me I'm the only one. Really love, I'm just Tell it to my heart was Taylor's first single. It was released in 1987 immediately became the dance hit in clubs around the world and earned her a grammy nomination over the last 35 years taylor has had 17 top 20 singles three grammy nominations an american music award and the greatest honor of all i sang one of her songs at karaoke just the other day and i'm not the only one singing her songs taylor is on tour right now taylor dane loves brunch So we're going to explore the fascinating feminist history of the mid-morning meal. And I get to chat with the owner of one of the country's most iconic places to pick up bagels and lox. Truly one of my favorite places in the whole entire world, the 110-year-old New York institution, Russ and Daughters. All of that coming up later in the show. But first, my conversation with Taylor Dane. Several years ago, my now ex-boyfriend, we're good friends. When we started dating, we decided we were going to do for like our third date, something called Sizzler Skate, where we were going to go to the Sizzler and then go roller skating because it'd come up in conversation that I hadn't gone to the Sizzler since I was a little kid. So we ended up making this mixed CD with songs that all came out the year that I had last been to the Sizzler. And the first... Song on it was one of your songs, of course. It was "Tell It to Your Heart." So yeah. I strangely always associate you with the Sizzler.
1: <laughs> and sounds like a pretty fun date.
0: It was a, made, a very fun date for you and everything. I know, I know, and that's he has awesome. good taste in mixtapes, putting Taylor Dane right at the top.
1: That's like probably one of the first times the family like we can afford to take all the kids. Laura, let's go to Sizzlers.
0: And all you can eat shrimp. I mean, as a kid, it was amazing.
1: Never went there once for the shrimp, girl. I don't even remember that part, but you do. I do. When's the last time you've gone to a buffet? Honey, I was just on a cruise ship. Oh, yes. We had a performance on a cruise ship and I went to the buffet quietly and off hours. I actually did. But that was a hella buffet you know, the stations were incredible. There was a pizza station. There was a pasta station where they were just making fresh pasta for you right there and there.
0: Taylor grew up in New York's Long Island. She trained operatically and after high school, immediately started playing clubs. My first band was called Felony and I was 17,
1: 18. And then the next band was called The Next. And that was a uh, where I was featured as female lead vocalist, and we're doing showcases for labels, and that's already when I was 18, 19. Because, mm. you know, you're in clubs real early back then, you know. And in New York, it's just what it was. So, I mean, I played CBGBs and RT Fireflies and Bitter and mm. Bottom Line, all that stuff, probably by 2019, with these bands that I was in. And then I was just so sure after the next. I was like, I'm never being in a band again. I want my opinions only, not mm.
0: five. It wasn't until she went solo that she became Taylor Dane. Before that, she went by the name that her parents gave her, Leslie Wonderman. You're a nice Jewish girl from New York. Alleged. I know, right? (laughs) You didn't start out Taylor Dane. I actually don't use my real name either. So I was curious, where did Taylor Dane come from? A baby book, Richie Kannada, Billy Joel's band, and a uh, big shout out to Dee Snyder. For all you youngins out there, or anyone who isn't familiar with the Aquanet era of rock stars, Dee Snyder is the lead singer of Twisted Sister.
1: I was working on a record with him and Rick at Cove City Sound. Richie Cannata owned it. He's the big sax player for Billy Joel for all those years, and Dee had massive success. And he goes, Well, Leslie, you're cool. Like, I like you as a Joey or a Tommy. And then the guitar player for D said he goes I have a girlfriend named Tommy my real girlfriend's Taylor I just tell her I'm going out with Tommy and then we were like Taylor Tom, what What? and then we all just went Taylor and we loved it mm-hmm. and then we just took Richie Canata's baby book that night because he was having a baby and Rick said Dane thought of history I mean that's how simple and easy and yet really wild and dramatic and then that is how it is life changing history
0: making I've been in news radio for 20 years same thing it was like right before I'm going to go on I'm 21 and they're like do you want to use this name I'm like um ah. Uh, not really. No one can yeah, pronounce that last really. name. Yeah. I'm like, everyone's going to pronounce my name wrong. No one can spell it. No one can say it. I don't want it anymore. And it was like five minutes. Like, should I do this? Should I do that? And it's like, okay, this is what it is. I'm Rachel Bell for yeah. 20 years. Does everyone in your life call you Taylor or like do your close oh, friends or yeah. your family it's call so you? Wild. yeah.
1: Laura Taylor's on the phone. That's my dad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I've been legally Taylor now for 35 years.
0: It is almost like you had a rebirth because you got it from a baby book. That's true. I never thought yeah. of it. Though. Yeah. yeah. So that's very cool. I'm curious what your food life was like growing up. Who cooked in your house? My mom had like a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday
1: situation going on. Monday night was chicken fricassee. Tuesday night was, that's all I really can remember. Mm -hmm. Holidays were more special because, you know, in the Jewish household, she at least attempted and made the matzo ball soup, which was was a big thing. And I thought she was amazing. Her stuffing was always Pepperidge Farm. She said, it has to be this, the onions and the mushrooms and the way she sauteed it and the butter. And it was just amazing. My dad was the Sundays he was brunch. Mm-hmm. It was very um traditional and ceremonial. We would go together. That was my private time with my dad to spend with him and we'd walk to the bakery together. We so, talked yeah. to Harry the baker and he'd get his fresh loaf of rye bread, he'd get his onion board bread, he'd get me my bow tie cookie to eat and then we'd go next door to the delicatessen. So food was um a beautiful thing. And then my dad would make this big skillet, electric skillets, like his eggs. If he was in a good mood and he woke up that morning, we know it was going down and it wouldn't be too much drama. But yeah, Sunday brunches were were always just wonderful because mm. at least my dad was kind of singing. He was at least there. And that's when music was wafting through the house. mana La Mancha or the Fantastics and everything that my parents would love. That's when I felt the most liberated and felt a great happiness was when my father was in a good mood. My mom was, you know, OK, and, and the food and the smells, and, you know, and I went on my walk with my dad. We came home with our deli treasure.
0: And it's kind of old world that you don't get that much anymore unless you live in New York City where you can go get your bread go next door to the deli. You know, you can kind of yes. go to these specialty stores. It's not like that in a lot of places anymore.
1: No, not really. I mean, we do that at farmer's markets. My boyfriend and I just came home and we just went right to the farmer's market early in the morning and we went to this and that and this. And we yes. really, you know, it was nice to go to each different uh, seller of, of each item specifically. And it was really fun, but you're right. For the most part, we don't have that those shops like that anymore. Yeah, Very much how it was.
0: So what would you get from the deli when you'd go with him Sunday mornings? Oh,
1: he was his big thing. We'd get fresh salmon, the smoked salmon. And I mean, he'd half a pound, whatever we were going to do that day. The cream cheeses, he was very specific. He got his scallion. He got his lox. Oh, and he always would get white fish salad. Wow. Yes. Wow. That just makes me think. Yes. And his few other items, I forget with my dad because I probably wouldn't have gone near it in a thousand years. But he was very specific in his Jarlsburg, che- you know, his cheese they, at the same place yes. they would have cheese, you know. Everything was hanging like an Italian
0: mark. Well, the Jewish delis were very similar. So you had mentioned that your mom makes matzo ball soup. Was there anything special about hers that you remember?
1: Yes. Well, and you know, and I even took this up with Rachel Ray and Guy when I did
0: the show. Taylor was a contestant on the first season of the Food Network show, Rachel vs. Guy, Celebrity Cook-Off. She competed against folks like Coolio, Lou Diamond Phillips, and your last meal guest, Cheech Marin.
1: I made a matzo ball soup in under... 25 minutes. Is that even possible? Guess so. <laughs> so. I had to get that stuff so cold. You know, when you put it in the refrigerator, the yolk, yes. the eggs, the matzah, mm-hmm. you know, she's like, well, you could just use soda water. And I go, nah, that's not what mama did, you know, <laughs> but it was always the Manischewitz. She really enjoyed that. And now I use far better broths and things that we can do and chicken stuff.
0: I also use the Manischewitz because my mom used the Manischewitz for the balls. I think it's so perfect. I am afraid to make them from scratch because I don't want to mess them up because it's so great. great I have two boxes downstairs. Yeah. It's It's like heaven. Today is the last day of Passover. But if you want my matzo ball soup recipe, which unbiased is the best matzo ball soup I've ever had, sign up for my newsletter. I just posted the recipe a couple weeks ago. Is part of my recipe opening a box of Manischewitz matzo ball mix? Why yes, yes it is, but the soup is homemade. This is my mom's recipe and it has a couple ingredients in it that make it really special. Sign up at rachelbell.substack.com. It is free and you can find a link in the show notes. Time for a quick break, but when we come back, Taylor Dane's Last Meal. If you're a fan of naturally gorgeous, off-the-beaten-path vacation spots with small-town charm, you're going to want to plan a visit to Washington State's Kitsap Peninsula where you can grab a scoop of homemade ice cream and stroll around the adorable European seaside village of Paulsbo or walk on the ferry in Seattle and get off in downtown Bainbridge Island. And May is the perfect month to visit Bremerton or Silverdale, where you can get out of the city and into the forest in just 15 minutes for a beautiful hike. Enjoy a farm-to-table meal at Bremerton's Restaurant Lola, a Black-owned business. I really need to make the trip out there for their Creole brunch. And in the morning, stop by Saboteur Bakery for croissants that are so flaky and buttery, you'll think you're in Paris. There's also a gorgeous golf course in the middle of the forest, and there are several naval museums in Bremerton. Go to visitkitsap.com slash your last meal to learn more. That's K-I-T-S-A-P, or you can find a link in the show notes. Play and stay on the Kitsap Peninsula, the natural side of the Puget Sound. question of the show, what would your last meal be?
2: Yeah.
1: When I think of food, I get a lot of comfort at certain times. Like a French fry could dough all the way for me. Just like a great piece of bread with the most incredible butter could take me. Well, obviously I like things a little bit more savory. It's not going to be a cake. It's not going to be something sweet. Although we were at the market the other day and there were some cinnamon buns that just like... <laughs> I'm really a brunch person. I feel like I can get all my coverage with a brunch. So my last meal would probably be a crazy brunch. Then I could probably have like an assortment of things because i get home fries or I'd make some sort of Potato. I'd make sure that mm-hmm. was part of it. An omelet. Really go all the way. Like My scramble would be insane. Mm-hmm. It goes back to my dad and his skillets and his, you know, the onions, the flavors, the smells, the aromas coming through the house, the onions, the mushrooms, the spinach, you know, a certain cheddar that he used that he really loved. Mm-hmm.
0: I don't know. Your brunch is sounding a lot like a sizzler buffet to me.
1: No! (laughs) Hell no, girl.
0: (laughs) Just kidding. So wait, let's break it down a little bit. Um, You have potatoes. You'd have kind of like a scramble. Tell me everything that would be in this big, perfect brunch.
1: Some wonderful spreads. i probably do whitefish. I can guarantee you bagels. Number one thing. Sliced fresh tomato. Bagels. Sesame. uh, Everything. Toasted. Yummy a whole assortment of those. Um, The spreads would be a vegetable cream cheese, a scallion, a lox cream cheese, and definitely I would have wonderful lox salmon, absolutely sliced tomatoes. Then we get into the eggs. So the eggs would be some sort of frittata, if you will, and Mm -hmm. it would be a large skillet frittata. So usually I tend to go into a Swiss or a feta, Mm -hmm. but I'm very into the onions, like a, a Greek mixture with mushroom and it would be a big frittata like that very light if i whip it up really really it would be super light and fluffy i would probably do sausages yeah i would do a turkey sausage i probably would a real nice nice turkey sausage i would have mimosas served i would offer bloody marys but yeah that would be a hell of the spreads alone from the whitefish to the the tuna to the those are a dynamite. And I mean, as far as dessert, like let's get some big cinnamon rolls and cut them up. Like just really just divine that with a mimosa and some fresh orange juice would be just wonderful.
0: It's actually just really sweet seeing your face when you were talking about going with your dad and you have the same expression. Like I can see you going somewhere in your mind when you're talking about it, that there's like a feeling attached. One thousand percent. Well, isn't that the
1: beauty of eating with others? That's the most joyful memories I have is when it's with family and a brunch is with people. Even if it's one person, I'll always get French toast. One pancake, it doesn't yes. matter. I want 12 items on the table. Same.
0: Yes, I you have it. to do pancake for the table. That's the law.
1: Look, I was at Denny's recently, girl. I was in the middle really? of like Tucson and I'm like, let's go to Denny's. It's Sunday. We can't <laughs> stop a Sunday. And I took my assistant and we were in there. We were like, we were shooting a, a shoot for Dillard's. And I was like, we're going in there, girl. What did you get at Denny's? I got a scramble. I, like I said, spinach, onion, probably a little feta and some mushrooms in it. I really did. I got their home fries. I was like, we'll get an English muffin <laughs> toasted. Yeah. And I had turkey bacon. No mimosas, no anything like that. It was a work yeah. day. Do they have mimosas at Denny's? No, nah, I didn't even look, girl. Yeah. I didn't try to test out that. <laughs> and we weren't having it. My social girl is like 25. She'd be like, hell yeah.
0: She's like, get a coffee. I said, good girl. For her last meal, Taylor Dane wants a big brunch. Bagels, cream cheese, whitefish salad, lox, sliced tomatoes, a frittata, potatoes, turkey sausage, mimosas, bloody Marys, and cinnamon rolls for dessert. There is an NPR article written around Mother's Day in 2015 titled, Taking Mom Out for Brunch? it's a feminist tradition. NPR says that the origins of brunch in the United States are tied to the women's rights movement at the turn of the 20th century. Even in the early 1900s, women were forbidden from going out to restaurants without a male chaperone. NPR reports that in 1907, Harriet Stanton Blatch and her friend Hetty Wright Graham sued a restaurant called the Hoffman House for refusing to seat them. The women lost the case because, surprise, it was an all-male jury. After several similar cases, the culture began to shift. And by 1908, many Americans agreed that requiring women to bring a male escort to a restaurant was, quote, An antique, preposterous, and ultimately untenable custom.
2: Department stores are really significant, right? When you look at the first Marshall Fields and the first, like, Bloomingdale's, Nordstrom's even, because department stores are the first
1: space in the United States that women can eat unaccompanied from men.
0: That's Farah Tenekar, author of Brunch, A History. Once it was finally okay for women to go out in broad daylight and eat a meal without a man, They often went out for brunch. Between the 1940s and 1970s, brunch starts to become popular because it's a way for women not to have to cook three meals on Sunday, but just cook two meals, right? Sunday cemented itself as the brunch day after World War II, when a lot of people stopped regularly going to church. And in the 1940s, a lot of restaurants started offering Mother's Day brunch specials. Once again, marketing this idea that moms could have a break from cooking and cleaning. Taylor's Brunch is a smorgasbord of food she grew up eating in New York, including bagels, schmear, whitefish salad, and lox, the same exact foods that have been sold at Russ and Daughters in Manhattan's Lower East Side for over 100 years. Russ and Daughters is a very special place. It's a tiny shop with an old fashioned tiled floor. And on the left side of the shop is the counter where you order your lox, your schmears, your bagels. And on the right, that's where you get your sweets like babka, halva, and black and white cookies. You walk in, take a number, and wait for someone in a white coat to help you. I usually take a red eye from Seattle to New York. And if I can, I will go straight from the airport to Russ and Daughters to get a bagel with lox. But this is not an ordinary bagel with lox. Since I have flown all the way to New York, I go all out. I get caviar cream cheese. I get wild Alaskan salmon roe, the big orange ones that pop between your teeth. Then there's the lox and I get capers, all on a sesame bagel. Never, ever toasted. By the time I'm done, I have a $20 bagel. Russ and Daughters is one of the few remaining appetizing shops in New York City. Can you talk about what appetizing is? Sure. It's a very funny New York-specific term. That's Nikki Russ-Fetterman, fourth-generation co-owner of Russ and Daughters.
2: So the word appetizing comes from the Yiddish word for spice, which means appetizers, foods that are ready to eat. The foods that you would find when you walk into Russ and Daughters, smoked, cured, pickled fish, all different kinds of spreads, herring caviar, sweets like babka, black and white, rugelach. Somehow, probably a Yiddish speaker, someone you know, like my great-grandfather, who was trying to speak their best English, when they were translating for spice, instead of saying appetizers, they said appetizing, the word stuck. Appetizing is also the sister food tradition to delicatessen. So strictly speaking, the delicatessen is where you go for meats like corned beef, pastrami, and the appetizing store where you go for fish and dairy, bagels and lox, that is appetizing.
0: And the important distinction there is kosher law. You can't mix meat with milk.
2: Right. Appetizing stores and delicatessens uh, came up because of kosher dietary laws that prevent the mixing of meat and dairy. The word deli or delicatessen has become such a commonly used word, and Russ and Daughters is frequently mislabeled a deli to the point where I think I want to get a t-shirt made that says, don't call us a deli, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, because we have stayed really committed to preserving and promoting the food tradition that is appetizing. My mission is that appetizing comes back into common parlance and use. Just like Brunch, Nikki says Russ and Daughters also has feminist roots. We are the first business in this country that has and daughters in its name. And not only that, but he made his daughters his partners. All of that was incredibly rare, if not controversial. There were many people who thought that having a business named Russ and Daughters was either going to tank or people assumed that there was a Mr. Russ and a Mr. Daughters. Oh, (laughs) I had never really thought about it this way, but this idea of appetizing, right? Foods that are ready to eat in a way it's like was also giving women a break from cooking, you know, like it was just ready to put out. So now I guess in my own way, I'm trying to like, you know, thread the needle. Yeah,
0: And there are very few appetizing (laughs) shops left. When was the height of appetizing and how many shops were there in New York City?
2: So even just within our neighborhood of the Lower East Side of Manhattan, The peak was around 1940, and there were 30 appetizing stores just within the small neighborhood of the Lower East Side. That's how common uh, this food was, how essential it was to the mostly Eastern European Jewish immigrants. There were so many appetizing stores on the Lower East Side that one of the original names of Russ and Daughters was Russ's cut-rate appetizing because I guess my great-grandfather had to compete with the other appetizing stores and have cut-rate prices. Deals, deals, deals. Yeah. Now we're one of the last remaining appetizing stores and we're kind of torchbearers of this food tradition.
0: So do you know in Eastern Europe, you know, before all these immigrants moved here and started these stores... Did they exist in Europe in this way? Is it kind of a facsimile or was this something that was created in New York as its own thing?
2: Appetizing is really a New York thing. It was a mix of old world foods, herring, right? Meeting access to, to new world flavors and products. So for example, the iconic bagel and lox. The original lox was not smoked salmon, but traditionally this was salt cured salmon caught in the Pacific, and then they were transported by a rail car to the East Coast, packed in salt. So they preserved as they were traveling across country. People like my great-grandfather, you know, they were not eating salmon like this in the little village in Poland that he's from. The original lox was so salty. We still sell a uh, true Salty belly locks at Russ and Daughters. It's, you know, we have eight different kinds of smoked salmon, but we we do also have traditional belly locks. And it's so salty that you needed something to cut that with. And so that's where the cream cheese got introduced and then the the carb from the the bagel. And that's how that triumvirate came to be.
0: Nikki's great-grandfather, Joel Russ, immigrated to New York City from a small shtetl in Poland in 1907. For seven years, he sold schmaltz herring out of a barrel and a pushcart on the same street where the Russ and Daughters Cafe is now located on the Lower East Side. By 1914, he was able to open his own shop.
2: His daughters, my grandmother and her two sisters, came to work starting when they were 10, 11. So yeah, (laughs) I guess there were no child labor laws back then. In 1935, Joel Russ changed
0: the name of the shop to Russ and Daughters. And eventually, his daughters took over.
2: My father's generation, you know that was the generation of kids who were supposed to be the American success story and become doctors, lawyers, engineers. My father, I guess you could say, fulfilled that wish, and he was a lawyer for 10 years. But he felt this pull to the shop. And when my grandparents were... Ailing, he stepped in. This is around 1979, thinking that he could both practice law and run Russ and Daughters. He quickly realized it was one or the other. He chose Locks. And uh, (laughs) my mother thought she was marrying a lawyer, and then (laughs) at some point realized she was, you know, married to a bagel and Locks Maven. Um, And she over time also became partners with him in the business. So I very much grew up as a shop kid, helping out. I mean, first I would just steal gummy worms out of the jar. And then I also was expected to help out during the busy periods. Nikki was
0: encouraged to do whatever she wanted with her life. But after working in other industries for seven years after college, she too felt the pull of the locks.
2: I realized that I needed to shift my thinking that, whereas I had previously thought that if I ended up doing the same work as my parents, grandparents, and great-grandparents, that somehow that meant that I had not like individuated enough, that I had failed in some way. You know, so strong is this American individualistic ethos of like, go and do your own thing and be your own person. And I, I realized that in fact, being part of a lineage like this, being able to continue a continuous thread of tradition is so rare it was quite a a gift to be in this kind of relationship with your ancestors the more we lose independent small businesses to to chains and big box stores the more places like Russ and Daughters need to survive there needs to be some things that that stay the same, that people can come back to and have this grounding feeling. Nikki
0: and her cousin Josh took over in 2006, and while they do maintain tradition, they've also modernized and expanded the business. They've added nationwide shipping, all of the baking is done in-house, they opened a cafe, and have another one opening soon.
2: These kinds of appetizing shops were just, you know, it was just a means to survive. My great-grandfather, who started Russ and Daughters, he was just trying to get by in this new country. I don't think he could have ever predicted that two of his great-grandchildren, my cousin and I, you know, would be continuing the shop, the food, and the tradition that he started.
0: If you haven't been to Russ and Daughters, shame on you. Sorry, went into a little grandma mode there. Make sure and add it to the top of your next New York trip list. There are two benches outside the shop. And if you're lucky, you can snag one and have a perfect New York moment. Time for a break. We'll be right back. Just eight and a half minutes long. So grab a snack and cozy up with the nosh. Available anytime, anywhere at CascadePBS.org. Or find a link in the show notes. And that was Taylor Dane's Last Meal. Taylor is on tour now. You can find a link to her schedule in the show notes. And please know that she is far more graceful on stage than she is competing in food competitions. Did you have an extension fallout while you were cooking? Oh my God, fallout. Then something went on fire.
1: I remember that. I was like, (laughs) throw it in the bin. When the cameras were rolling, I put the high heels on and then I'd be like running around because you know you have a certain amount of time. I was always in my flip-flops. Oh
0: yeah. Thanks to Nikki Russ Fetterman, fourth generation co-owner of Russ and Daughters. Russ and Daughters ships nationwide so you can create your own Taylor Dane brunch in your very own home. This episode of Your Less Meal was produced by me and mixed by the man who shops until he drops. The man who loves an L.L. Bean sweater, Randy Torres. Theme music by Prom Queen. Your Last Meal is a slide down the dinosaur media production. If you liked the show, and I'm assuming you do because you made it all the way to the end, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It is a free way to support the show. It really does get it out to new listeners. I would be so appreciative. You can sign up for my free newsletter, rachelbell.substack.com, and follow along on Instagram. Hello, Rachel Bell. I'm Rachel Bell, and this is Your Last Meal. hi oh i love your hat you're looking so la i love it very la yes i wish i could pull off a hat like that that's one thing i put it on and i look like i'm like i like it doesn't it
2: looks like a a costume when i try to wear it you're working it thank you honey